We are going to energise the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr Nice Guy. Seamus and not sure this is a great idea. Order. Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by a uh, by a returning guest, someone who has been a returning guest previously. This is his third appearance on the podcast. Uh, so, welcome back, William Kajani, who is the elections, politics, and policy analyst for Star Sports. Welcome back to the podcast. A pleasure to be here. Uh, so, to begin with, I'd uh, like to ask, what was your initial reaction to that exit poll? Not shock, um, more sort of awe at the actual size of the majority. Mm-hmm. I think most people, and certainly the sort of betting we've been having through the day, thought that there'd be a reasonably sized majority, a bit of leeway. Um, this was a very seismic, very historic result, um, definitely, and you could feel that drop um, right at 10pm, because um, mm-hmm. I was at, at, at ITV. Um, so the whole room just went again. Not not the fact it had a majority; it was expected in hindsight, but um, and just how big it was. Mm. Uh, what was the sort of like uh, betting predictions that you had immediately prior to the election poll dropping? I mean, you said that uh, expected a majority, but obviously not on that scale. What sort of majority uh, were you expecting? We were 11 to 4 about both the Tory majority of 1 to 24 seats and 25 to 49 seats. Um, mm. Anything above that uh, was considered a bit out, well, not outlandish, but it was 72 to 50 to 74. And we were 7 to 1 for a 75 to 99 Tory majority. Um, and I think, you know, that really, to many people, I think would have exceeded expectations, um, certainly on the market basis where we saw the money come in, it actually exceeded the expectations because we took free bets um, and we took them on majorities of 1 to 24, 25 to 49 and 50 to 74. Mm. So that was beyond, I think, expectations of the market. And the market had never really raised the chance of a hung parliament that highly. Mm. It moved in in an interesting way. I think it went off uh, something like a nine to four shot, having been eleven to four, it touched seven to four through the day. Um, but even then, the market was pretty certain it was going to be majority. It was just, you know, um, how big was it, and that was bigger than expected. Mm. Uh, why do you think that? Um, I mean, obviously, some of the polling had uh, quite considerable leads for the Conservatives, but a lot of the polling obviously had smaller leads, sort of like a small majority, or even. As you mentioned, going into a hung parliament, why do you think that uh, perhaps the scale of the majority wasn't quite picked up, either in terms of the betting market or in terms of polling? People, um, I think, sort of. I mean, first of all, we look at the polls. The polls, on average, um, were actually pretty bang on. Mm-hmm. It was a ten-point lead, and the ten-point leads can more than translate into nearly 400 seats, mm-hmm. depending on where the marginals went. And all the marginals, all the small um, marginals, went the Conservatives' way. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, the Lib Dems didn't break through in the southwest, so they're adding a lot to the 317 seats that they already took, you know, gain of about 50. 
a 10-point polling average is roughly an expectation with that. Mm -hmm. Most of the polls recently, they averaged leads of 5 to 13, but most of them were at least 7 or 8 points upwards. So good good lecture for the pollsters. For the betting market, why did it exceed expectations? Um, I think that punters were a bit sceptical about the Tories taking all of the marginals through the red wall. The punters expected Labour also to win some signature seats. We took bets on Labour winning Chingford and Woodford Green, um, two lumpy ones on the day. We took um, £800 of them winning Barnet. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, punters were never expecting them to win in Bolsover, for mm. instance, you know, um, which was a stunning result. It wasn't even close. Mm. And I think the punters in general have been following the narrative of the campaign. And the narrative of the campaign suggested Tory majority, but not thumping landslide. Hmm. Um, do you think that um, we heard prior to Election Day quite a lot of talk about turnout? Uh, voting turnout, I think, was a, a, a bit down. Uh, but we also had a lot of people talking about uh, people registering to vote who hadn't previously uh, registered to vote. And a lot of people in uh, the Labour Party camp thought that that would um, help them, that would mean that they would do well. Do you think that in terms of turnout, it's for the time uh, quite a good turnout? Uh, And also, do you think that in terms of people who registered to vote, that a lot of those who registered to vote might have gone Conservative rather than Labour? Yeah, I think it's entirely possible. The actual election studies will be really interesting to see. The Ashcroft election study suggests that Labour had um, still a big chunk of that new vote, something I think like um, I think it's 57% of 18 to 24-year-olds, um, and that they also won uh, the under 45, so basically we presume renters, people attempting to get onto the housing ladder. Mm-hmm. But if you um, look actually at the, um, but if you look actually at the sort of turnout overall, and also where Labour had high votes, it's possible, and this is an anecdotal thought, but it's possible they were all built up in cities. Say, for instance, Canterbury, which, going by the whole set of results, should have gone Tory. Mm-hmm. It was a Labour marginal. Rosie Duffield had only four. Uh, had I think it was less than 500 votes in hand, um, and the Tories won nearly 400 seats overall. You'd expect that to flip back. There were students queuing out um, all day for the polling station. Um, the union had to get tarpaulins to keep people dry, hmm. and she ended up increasing her majority. Now that's anecdotal, but it suggests quite strongly, perhaps, that if there were first-time voters, if there were young voters who were energised, they built up the vote in cities and not in towns and communities, which is where the damage was done. Mm. Um, you mentioned bowls over uh, a couple of minutes ago. Was there a, a, a particular result that really shocked you? I mean, was it bowls over? Was it a, another seat? There were quite a few. I think the margin of defeat in bowls over more than anything shocks me because mm. Usually when those seats flip, um, it's because of a really concerted on-the-ground effort, and it's sort of a bellwether, right? And it happens mm-hmm. by the same margin. 
Um, say, for instance, Joe Swinson, who was beaten by, I think, 154 votes or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Dennis Skinner is one of the most famous MPs in the country. Um, I think he is close to the father of the house. He must become the father of the house after Kane Clark left. Mm-hmm. And he was fund. 5,224, by modern standards, is a pretty thumping win. And I think that was sort of the icing on the Tory cake. Uh, Blythe Valley um, was one uh, that shocked me. Um, I'm not shocked that the Tories won Kensington for Mm -hmm. the intense symbolism, but I am shocked at how clearly mismatched the tactical vote was. That mm. left to is in. Um, Sam, it summed up, I think, a lot of the Lib Dem campaign, which was very much that they lost their way tactically um, when the election was called. Um, and I think, um, in hindsight, I, I don't know if it would, have, don't think it would stop the Tory majority, but in hindsight, the gap between Labour and Liberal Democrats was one of the underrated facts of this election. Hmm. Uh, so, do you think that? In effect, it was tactical voting that really did in parties like uh, the Liberal Democrats at this election. Uh, no, because the Liberal Democrats increased their vote share fair mm-hmm. bit. The problem was they ran a bad campaign. Mm-hmm. I think it was not done with... There was not a lot of foresight on it. Um, they tried to make... I mean, Brexit was the big issue of the election. Mm-hmm. When their vote was divided, they needed to go about it in a different way. I think they were trying to become the second party. Um, now, it worked in the local elections and the European elections, but um, different systems, and now you have first-past-the-post. First and I don't think there was a lot of acknowledgement of that. So I think also Joe Swinson spent a lot of her time attacking the Labour movement, including Corbyn, quite mm-hmm. widely. And in the end, I'm home and the numbers expected. If if 16% of the Tories um, overall voters voted Remain, it didn't come home, I think, to the point where they would have, um, you know, really had a good election because they didn't break through in the southwest and they didn't break through in the southeast. I know they were denied a couple of seats because um, basically they couldn't get their candidates for the first preference in tactical voting. Um, Finch, cities of London, Westminster, but overall... Don't think he did them in. Um, now, you said earlier that you think this is sort of a, a political watershed moment. Um, looking to the next election, do you think that we're going to see another uh, likely Conservative victory just based on the electoral map as it is at the moment? I think if you had one in, say... A year or so's time, maybe a few months or so's time, that'd be the case. Mm-hmm. These sort of things are always a bit tricky to predict. I mean, number one, after the next election, we will certainly have had some form of Brexit. It is certainly likely to be reasonably hard. Mm-hmm. The issue is, is do you go down route number one, which is uh, a withdrawal agreement and then um, everything in the future relationship is negotiated. We end up with very much... A third party state um, that looks and feels something like, say, an Australia or a Singapore model, mm-hmm. which is, I think, what the libertarians um, who are very close and influential in the Tory party really want. 
or do we have a situation which um, looks potentially quite likely, which is the withdrawal agreement is passed overwhelmingly. Mm-hmm. We then go into future trade negotiations. We do not have the time simply to cover everything within the nine-month deadline, and Johnson, with the numbers to do whatever he wants, um, decides to honour his promise of not extending the transition, and we leave with no deal in December. Mm-hmm. If we leave with no deal in December, I'm of the opinion it will be quite a shock still. People will be best prepared for it, but it will still be quite a seismic shock. If there are, say, the job losses um, on the manufacturing scale, on the industrial scale, perhaps even in services that most experts tell us there will be if we leave with no deal, that could leave quite a deep wound in the seeds that make up the Tory advantage. But but this is really long-term thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, first past the post suits the two major parties, sure. Um, but as for the electoral map, um, seeing the Tories, I don't honestly know about that. I, I think they they won this um, resoundingly, and it goes beyond the voting system, and it probably goes beyond um, most other things that people would would go for you know i think the deep dive into how people voted would be really interesting um opinion was also come out with uh some stats saying that people didn't like the labor leadership um mm-hmm. but it's too simplistic to blame this on anything solely although i think brexit was the biggest factor mm-hmm. um now obviously next year we're going to be seeing two leadership elections so to begin with i'd like to uh talk about the Liberal Democrats' uh, leadership contest next year. What are we sort of looking like in terms of uh, betting for that election? Has there been any uh, immediate odds uh, calculated, or are we going to have to wait a bit to see uh, where the market is going to go in terms of who the next Lib Dem leader will be? Um, we've we had odds pretty much um, after the exit poll. Mm-hmm. They changed a fair bit because Ed Davy is now even now he's sharing the interim leadership with Sal Brinton. I don't mm-hmm. think keep it like that. Though. I think no one goes to an MP. You can get even Ed Davy, which is just directly a fifty percent chance, half a chance basically, in really crude terms that he will win. You can get six to four for Leila Moran, and then there's a big gap and. That's the reading we think of where the two parties, uh, where the two people in the party, I should say, are. Um, Moran probably was seen by Venter had a good election beforehand, mm-hmm. and six to four roughly calculates basically that um, she's got around forty-two percent chance mm-hmm. um, of taking, which which um, which I think is entirely fair. I think also it's fair that we've got a big gap between them two and we're a hop house. Mm-hmm. Also one. Then Christine Jardine is 20 to one. Then it's Sarah Olney, who's also 20s. Um, we don't know too much about the internal thinking here. Um, Davy was certainly quite liked, certainly popular mm-hmm. pre-election. Moran also was a long time lived there. She didn't sort of defect and jump in. I'd be surprised if it was one of either of those two, the punters at the moment, like Davey. But they're back top two in the market, to the exclusion of everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think the Liberal Democrats are going to 
as you said, that they uh, in- increased um, the amount of share that they had per constituencies. But um, how do you think that they're going to recover from this election? In what sort of direction do you think they will go in terms of policy and in terms of image? In terms of policy, um, it's probably got to be... I mean, the thing was, they actually had a fairly radical manifesto if you look at the spending plans. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't that far behind Labour. It was certainly far away from the Conservatives. Um, and it suggested a rather bold offering, sort of aggressive social liberalism. Now, the issue is, is where does the Labour Party go? That probably informs with the choice. Um, the Labour Party, a lot of people want it to be back to the centre ground. But a lot of people in the charge Labour Party, they say no. Um, I think the fact it's going to be heavy on sort of progressive and social liberal ideas is reflected by the fact that we've got Ed Davey and Len Moran as first and second favourite in our markets. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of policy, the, the key will be to try and occupy a space um, where they're not basically labour light because that was a big criticism of the Lib Dems, which was quite effective during the campaign. Um, and with Brexit being likely to be done, you know, in five years, you are not realistically going to be, I think, pushing for re-entry with the same fever that um, people have been for now. You know, it's, it, it feels done. Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to try very much and go to a sort of 2005-style position. Mm-hmm. Um, Now, you mentioned the Labour Party, and of course they will be having a leadership and a deputy uh, leadership election next year. I'd first like to have a look at the uh, deputy leadership election. What sort of, what has the market's been, uh, what have the market's been saying regarding that? Are there any uh, runners and riders at the moment? What are the, what are the sort of odds at the moment? Well, we've only got some odds on the main one, that Mm -hmm. being that um, people are declaring at the moment to run for leader and well, that's what the talks that's what all the talks about mm-hmm. when we get an idea of who's likely to actually put a hat in the ring for deputy probably we'll have a market on that mm-hmm. um turning then to the leadership uh we've seen a lot of people suggest people like angela rayner rebecca long bailey uh what what's the market saying in terms of odds is there a, a particular favorite at the moment what, what's it looking like it's Keir Starmer who's favourite. He opened up. He was three to one on the night um, of the election blowout. He's now five to two. Mm-hmm. That's twenty eight point five seven percent chance. Basically, we give him being the next Labour leader. Rebecca Long Bailey is nine to two. That's an eighteen point eighteen percent chance. Now, Jess Phillips, who was sixteen to one on the night of the election. Um, and was 33 to 1 in the summer when we took 500 pounds on her, has crashed in to 5 to 1. In other mm-hmm. words, just over 16% or 16.67% chance of becoming the next leader. Now, that's a really big move, and we have seen lots of money for her. She's been the best back by a mile, um, presumably on the basis that we think she's going to run, presumably on the basis that the election result is bad enough that people might want to be able to change course. Mm-hmm. Um, and also presumably on the fact that um, this has been an ambition of hers for a little while. Now, um, with Phillips, there's the issue of turning the membership. Um, 
into her favour because a lot of Labour members aren't big fans of Jess Phillips, mm-hmm. who was after Corbyn for quite a long time and went after Corbyn quite hard. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, um, particularly as this leadership election is probably going to take place, say, April of next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a lot of time, basically, for people to flood the party with memberships. You know, we can have to presume it's the existing electorate um, interned in the Labour Party that will pick its next leader. Um, Lisa Nandy is coming from t- 20 to 1 to 10 to 1. People are really getting behind her now. Mm-hmm. So Rainer is enough big mover. Uh, was 12 to 1 uh, just before the election, 11 to 1 on the night of the election, now 7s. Um, and we've seen a drift in Emily Formbury, um, who was 12 to 1 uh, just before the um, exit poll um, and 12 to 1 on the morning after, now 16. That might be because of her fervent pro European stance. Um, which one that we see as being so popular? Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at uh, the first three that you mentioned, uh, Keir Starmer, Rebecca Long-Bailey, and um, Jess Phillips, how do you think, if they were to become Labour leader, how do you think that they would differ from one another? What do you think, stylistically and uh, policy-wise, would separate them from one another? Well, if you have Rebecca Long-Bailey you definitely have sort of a manifesto in the name of sort of uh, forward many of a few. It probably, I mean, in 2024, presumably, it will probably ask for a very sharp reversal of Tory orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking it would still call for nationalisation, which, by the way, people do like the sound of. When you actually poll people on just the policies of nationalisation, they support most of it. Um, and I think uh, the sort of campaign will very much be momentum-led, um, perhaps maybe not youth-focused as, mm-hmm. as much because the turnout wasn't what they hoped it'd be this time, but I can see it being, um, you know, same sort of the same as now, but perhaps with a bigger focus on towns and communities. I think if Angela Rayner was leader, Labour would make an explicit point of trying to appeal maybe to not just swing voters um, but people who perhaps have traditionally voted Tory to try mm-hmm. and pull and move them over um, back to Labour in the same way that you might say Blair etc did um, not with the same policies but the same sort of style of attack um, if you had Keir Starmer in charge it'd be really interesting to see um, because he carries himself well in the eyes of the party membership, even though he's not, you know, explicitly as left wing as the others. Lots of people say they like him. I think with the Keir Starmer Labour leadership, um, it will be left of centre and pragmatic. So it might be Millibandish, if mm-hmm. as you can the top of my head here. Um, with Lisa Nandy, we know what the off would be. Huge, huge appeals to the towns and communities that left Labour in their droves. Um, yesterday, uh, I think Labour probably needs to do that. Um, with what policies, we don't actually explicitly know. I, I get the feeling that Nandy would have le- lots of left-leaning policies that weren't explicitly um, as ambitious, say, as the current manifesto. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that 
the uh, direction of the Labour Party then is based on the way that um, the seats that were held is that we're going to see more focus perhaps on uh, southern seats like uh, Canterbury and Warwick and uh, Leamington uh, rather than perhaps the traditional battlegrounds that we saw uh, go Conservative at this election? Or do you think that in actual fact that the party is going to put as much emphasis as it can on getting those voters back in the north, west, the north, east of England? I think the electoral map dictates they have to go and win at least a significant majority, like at least, let's say, 70% of those towns and communities back. The north-west did damage, um, I I think, and um, also there needs to be a better offer in Wales. Now, I know Plaid Cymru lost a seat, um, and the Tories did well there, but of course the Leave voting sentiment is much higher. Now, this is all hypothetical because presumably by the time of the next election, Brexit's been done. And whatever effect it's had, good or bad, um, we fell for two or three years. If Brexit was to go badly, um, there are different degrees of badly. It's quite likely that some of those voters could be won back. Mm-hmm. If it was to go well, that's a much harder task. Seeing as they got what they wanted and it was brilliant, let's say. I think the route back to Labour probably has to lie through going to the northwest and the Midlands um, and then hopefully turning a bit of Wales back as well. I mean, they did lose a couple of seats in London and the outlying areas, but I think that as a whole, cities tend to have more Labour sentiment in them uh, purely because of the demographic trends of people getting better educated, becoming more socially liberal, mm-hmm. and you know, moving to a city and voting Labour, especially if they can't afford to buy a house there or something, you know. Um, and sometimes you get the migration effect of people can't live in London, going out um, and settling up in places like, you know, I don't know if it's in London exactly or Putney, etc., you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we're coming to the end of the podcast. It's been great to have you on again, William. Thank you uh, once again. So I'd like to ask you uh, one last question. Now, last time you appeared on the podcast, I asked you what you would like uh, for Christmas this year. I'm now going to ask, what would you like for Christmas next year? Oh, uh, <laughs> this, this is interesting. Uh, Christmas next year. I'll tell you what, I'd love to avoid no-deal Brexit. I'll take that, actually. A non-no-deal Brexit for Christmas next year. Well, I think that's something that uh, most of our listeners could agree to uh, as well, and I think it would be something that would uh, yeah, be better, be better avoided than uh, something mm-hmm. to happen. Uh, thanks once again for coming on. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, If you would like to listen to the podcast, you can do on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Spreaker. Uh, If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can do at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do at debatedpodcast. Like us on Facebook, same, debatedpodcast. Thank you once again for listening to this episode. I hope you listen to the next one.